Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're kicking off season three of the 100 Masked Men series this week, where I anonymously interview different men from all around the world to challenge gender roles and expectations in the modern world today. Speaking of challenges, I found a brain to pick here in Tulum, and I am so grateful to be able to share this conversation with you. We move from general concepts to get up close and personal, maybe even too personal for comfort. Masked man at number 51 is the serial entrepreneur. You know the type. A great people person, able to connect quickly with anyone, and is always down for some business brainstorming. But what if we remove all those layers and we can only talk about feelings and who we are, not what we do? Challenge accepted. He shares his experience meeting women in Tulum, his new approach to relationships following his divorce, and what really matters to him when he thinks about compatibility and his role as a man. I hope you enjoy the show. I came down to Tulum just on a whim, wanted to decompress for a week, ended up extending my stay probably like instead of three or four days, ended up being like about a week. And I had no plan. I didn't want to do any research. I didn't want to try to figure out like an itinerary. I just wanted to meet people, like organically find new spots that people recommended or that people owned or that were across the street and there looked like a good party going on that night. And, uh, and naturally you, you come across other travelers or locals and yeah, there's, you know, there was a girl staying next to me in the villa, one villa over. She seemed a lot, a lot like me, traveling, getting away, kind of working from a remote location for a week. And uh, then she had two friends visiting her. And it's really, I mean, building trust is what entrepreneurs and business owners do anyway, because they're trying to build trust and, with their clients. So when you're in a vacation setting, by nature of how we are, we just start building trust with people because that's what relationships are. They're give and take, you know, having that level of trust. And once one girl trusts you and the other, like, oh, he's cool. And then you meet somebody else. It's networking, but in a fun way on vacation. So how would you say you can build trust among people? I think openness and authenticity is really important because, I mean, people aren't dumb. You can say all the right things and put off all the right vibes, but they can tell if you're not being authentic. So I'm just myself. I just, when I meet somebody, I'm just like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing here. What are you up to? And it's hard to almost put into words, but if you're just authentic and you don't hold back and you're just, you know, putting it all out there on the table, people respond to that. And they're like, you know, this guy's being honest with me. He's being, you know, authentic. And I, and I like that. And I trust him. You know, there's also like little, little pitfalls to avoid. Like don't put a girl in a creepy situation where she feels uncomfortable, even if it's like an accident. Cause obviously guys and girls are different and there's different safety concerns for guys versus girls. You know, like, <laughs> you, like it's hard to explain, but you have to put yourself in their shoes sometimes and then be like, how could this be perceived? And then don't do something that might be perceived in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable or in danger. So do you have an example of like, how would you put yourself in their shoes like in, in any context now, and where would you have learned how to get into someone to a, a woman's shoes? Because you're not one, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it feels like to be a woman, but you know, with sisters and everyone has a mom, and it's really not even about a, a male female thing. It's just putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and and, and trying to imagine because people misspeak all the time. They do something that is perceived, in, you know, incorrectly or not the way they intended it. So this this is you know a much larger conversation because it's true in business it's true in everything it's, it's it's very important and i think successful people can do it trying to always think about you know perceptions reality so how is what i'm doing what i'm saying how i'm branding how i'm marketing 
you know, how I'm traveling, how I'm meeting people, how is it being perceived? And if I ever even get like the slightest feeling that I'm being creepy, even like accident, like I immediately, I, I, I retract a little bit, you know, I back off, I, you know, say, oh, I'll see you guys later or, you know, have fun. And, you know, you, you just got to make it so that you, you're always putting people in a, in a, in a place of comfort okay. and, you know, they, they're hanging out with you because they want to hang out with you, not because you're kind of like forcing yourself into their situation. Do you have an example of a moment that you caught yourself being creepy and you had to change it? I mean, I can't think of one off the bat. There was the girl I mentioned before who was working on the front patio of the villa we were on. Okay. And I was on the next one over and they were cleaning my apartment. So I couldn't, I, you know, I was trying to stay out of the way because they were mopping the floors and cleaning everything. So I was like, I'll just do some work on the patio too. And of course, you know, she's like a 30 year old girl. I'm a 35 year old guy. She's attractive. You know, we're both working on our laptops, or, you know, working on, on our patios. And, and like, I kept kind of catching her eye and it, you know, and it wasn't like a, like a flirtatious look. It's just like, we kind of kept like, she would look over and I would look over and then, it, you know, and actually the third time I was like, all right, like if I don't say anything, like this is going to be awkward. So it's almost the reverse. It's, I didn't back off. I actually engaged because if I, I felt like if I backed off, she'd be like, this guy just stared at me or looked at me like three times. And I, I mean, she realized she looked back, but, and then he walked away. Like, that's weird. So I walked over and just said, hey, I know we locked eyes a couple of times. I didn't want to be rude. And then she instantly was like, I'm this, you know, nice speech. Um, you know, and we had like an awesome 10 minute conversation about who we are, where we're from, why we're here. And I walked back and she invited me to the beach and I was like, do you like tequila? She's like, I love tequila. And then bought a bottle of tequila to the beach and we just hung out in the sun and tanned. And, and it wasn't even like we were, there wasn't like any sexual tension or anything like that. It was just, I was polite. I was engaging. I was warm. She was the one that invited me to the beach. So it wasn't like, hey, let's go get our, you know, bathing suits on and lay in the sun. It's like, she just want, you know, she's like, join me. And I was like, okay, do you like tequila? Yes. All right, I'll bring that. And it's, so it's this whole give and take. It's one step forward for one person and then one step forward for you. And you, you can't rush anything. You can't rush emotions and you can't rush relationships and connections. They have to happen on their own at their own pace. So I think if you always keep that in mind and let things happen, at, you know, in due time, you, you can avoid a lot of creepy scenarios. Well, I think that's interesting because I think that people need to be more intentional about what they want when they engage with someone. Maybe I'm just a little bit jaded, <laughs> but I don't believe in having a conversation with someone unless there is a, a result, an outcome out of this or, or a reason. And um, you're kind of talking about it in a sense where there's, there's no expectations. You're just being authentic. You're just here to get to know someone. You just don't want someone to get the wrong idea of you. So you're just going to like strike up this conversation, see where that goes. I do like that approach, but at the same time, I would be thinking, okay, well, what does this guy want at the end of this? Yeah. So when you experience a moment like that where someone's like, hey, well, what do you, what do you really want from here? Are you, are you going to preamble that and say, hey, these are my attentions? Or are you going to wait for her to ask you? Like, where, where would you go with that kind of scenario? Well, it really depends on the girl because in this particular scenario, she's a lot like me. Puts her cards on the table, tells me how it is, open book. So once we got to the beach and, you know, our first uh, glass of tequila... You know, she's telling me how she, you know, she's engaged. And I was like, well, I'm recently divorced. And she's saying she is on a break from her engagement. And then, but she, and she likes this guy down here, but she has, you know, all this complicated stuff. And I'm like, okay, she's just telling me how it is. And I'm just listening. And, uh, and then, you know, when I told her, like, you know, I'm kind of out here decompressing and trying to get a break from work, kind of rethinking about who I am, you know, now that I'm in a situation where I'm single again for the first time. And, uh, yeah, she was like instantly like, that's awesome. I'll be your wingwoman. Like, you know, 
like you can hang out with us. I have two more girls coming. Like one's Instagram model and one's this. And uh, like you know, we'll all like you all hang out. You seem like a fun guy, and then you know, we'll, we'll help you like uh, you know meet people. And I was like, great, you know. I mean, I don't need that much help meeting people, but like the more the merrier, you know. And, and they're girls, so they have certain talents that I don't have, or they can you know talk to guys in a certain way or girls in a certain way. Maybe get us into places that I couldn't get us into. So I'm like, sure, let's do it. And we kind of became friends like instantly. What the original question was. Intentions, yes. We, it's, that just happened naturally because we're both very intentional people. She's a vice president of a of a, of a, a for profit like medical company, and um, also a writer in the music industry. And I own a few businesses, so we, we had that mindset where it's like we don't wait for things to happen; we have a path and we make them happen. In that macrocosm, you can take that down to a conversation. There has to be a result. So, you know, I was just trying to be friendly, and then we started talking about like, how long are you here? What do you want to do? I like I like that that because I mean both of the places that you work at the, it's very outcome based and and very focused and intentional yeah. so no matter what you're going to go there so how do you deal with a conversation that doesn't go anywhere or isn't going anywhere because I think that's when most of those questions come around it's like well, why are you talking to me or how much longer are we going to be talking for or you know what's next and who who do you think has more responsibility if there is at all in in having that conversation or driving it further I mean, I think everyone's equally responsible for the conversation because it's, you know, it's two people in a conversation and you're both responsible for communicating and listening. And I had an encounter like that recently, yesterday. I was down at one of the hottest parties, you know, in town, a place called Taboo. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you name it, models, NFL players and fun people and, you know, different ages, partying on the beach cabanas and DJ and pool. It was just awesome. Everyone's having a good time. And uh, there's just a few tables that were kind of all collaborating. Like there was one, there was our table. There was one table of a bunch of dudes. I'm at the girls' table because <laughs> it's all girls and me. There's all a bunch of dudes down by the pool. So some of the girls from my table were going to meet them. And then there was another table of all girls. And they were trying to like talk to them so that I could kind of like come in and then meet them. And out of the group, there was only really one girl that I you know, was attracted to. I mean, they were all very good-looking girls, but everyone has their types. So I was like, I'm going to talk to this girl, figure out who she is and what she does, and spark a conversation. I think I asked her three questions. And, I, you know, I didn't have to be a good reader of people in this situation, but in general, as a salesperson, you can read someone's body language, their tone, their word choice, and you have to kind of, like, think where are they coming from or what, what are they thinking. But she just, like, wasn't interested. Like, she wasn't even looking. <laughs> like, she was looking the opposite direction, short, and Shore's answer, you could imagine, you know, like, boom. I think after the third question, I was like, great. Yeah, I'll, and I told her, you know, like, nice to meet you. You know, I can't remember what I said. I was polite. I was just like, oh, great. Well, it was nice to meet you. You know, I'll let you get back to your friends. And you can't take that personally because relationships and connections cannot be forced. And if you force them, that's where it gets creepy. So, it, you know, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Like in poker, you can't cling on, like, I found her attractive. Okay, there's a thousand other girls at that party. So she wasn't into me? Perfect, I'll move on. It's, she saved me time, actually, because what if she wasn't interested in me, but out of politeness, acted interested to be polite? Now I'm sitting here talking to this girl that doesn't like me at all, wasting my time, and also putting her in a bad situation because now I think she's interested. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she was actually, like, visibly and, you know, not interested was great for me because I, I just, five seconds later, I'm gone. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you a story for me. Sure. Um, I was on the beach and I had my AirPods in. I was just listening to a podcast and this other guy came, sat beside me on a different bench and starts talking to me, but he's talking from beside me. So 
I'm just choosing not to acknowledge him because he didn't directly talk to me. If you spoke directly at me, I'd have to acknowledge you in some way. But I chose not to because you're talking from the side. And I don't know how long he was trying to talk to me, but it was like enough times that obviously I was not engaging in any way. I can't even see this person. So it doesn't matter if I thought he was attractive or not. I just wasn't going to respect someone speaking to me not directly. So he got upset, got up and like kicked the back of my beach chair. Why, why, what do you think of those like microaggressions? And why, why do you think men kind of result in that just because like do you think they were they feel like they're owed a response from women or are they upset with the rejection part like which which part results in that kind of aggro aggression yeah and that's i mean to me that's more more of a macro aggression i mean that's physical he uh i mean they're i don't know how old was he i guess like our age ish yeah yeah it's a maturity thing and obviously you can be very mature at a young age you can be very immature at an older age but part of it is you know in life you have to look at things, and I explain this all the time to people, whether it's parenting or business or sales, relationships, arguments, conversations. You have to do the thing that's going to get you the result you want, not do what feels good or instinctive. So, I mean, the natural reptilian brain, like human fight or flight mode is, like, rejection hurts. Rejection is like, like it's the same part of your brain that feels physical pain is where being told you're wrong or being rejected triggers. So it almost puts you in that fight or flight mode. And you know, whether it's through experience or just maturity or emotional intelligence, you have to say, what do I want out of this situation and do that thing, not the first thing that my primordial brain wants to do. And in, in that case, it sounds like he was either just immature, inexperienced, in anger management or emotional intelligence and he just that that was his first I mean it, it's painful it's hard like rejection sucks but when you're in sales and when you're in your 30s and you talk to a lot of girls you understand that some are not going to be into you and that's fine do you think that you have a higher emotional intelligence based on like the the places that you've worked and, and the experiences that you've had where did that start from you like did you did, were there any mentors in your life that brought you to wanting to have better emotional intelligence? Yeah, I mean, I think I naturally developed a lot of emotional intelligence without realizing what it was. At first, you know, I'm in a large family, so, you know, a lot of emotions when you have seven kids, and I'm the oldest. So I'm, de- I'm looking at all these young kids fighting and whatever, and I learned a lot about emotions growing up. Sports is a huge one, because so I did not just sports, but, like, com- combat sports, like wrestling, boxing, uh, mixed martial arts you know, sports where you get hit in the face, you know, where you get your, your limbs broken, you know, things that are really, you know, people are trying to hurt you, dominate you, control you against your will. You know, I mean, obviously you, you're agreeing to compete, but you don't want him to throw you on the mat, right? Or punch you in the face. So learning to control those, it's so funny, the, the natural reaction to get angry when you get hit in the face. I, I'll never forget the first time I ever got punched in the face, like in boxing. It was the best day of my life. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You watch all these movies where they add these sound effects, you know, where it's like, pucha, and then, you know, the guy flies backwards and he like is passed out. In real life, when you get hit in the face, unless they hit you right on the button, which is not common or you're not ready for it, if you're prepared for it, your adrenaline's going so much and it's like you, you almost like blink and you're like, what just happened? And before you even feel pain, your adrenaline's kicking in and, and you're, you're past it. So once I realized that being punched in the face wasn't this scary thing, I became a much better boxer. Rocky has this moment with uh, Polly in the movie where he talks about fire. And he's like, there's a fire inside you as a boxer that you can either use it or it'll burn you alive. So 
you know, when you think about like life in that sense, whether it's rejection or pain or, you know, you can use it to accomplish a goal and you can respond in a way that is like, yeah, it's a hit in the face, but now it's my turn. Like, let's go, you know, like, obviously that's a sports metaphor. You don't hit anybody in the face, but, uh, you know, you, you respond with the way that's going to get you to where you want to be, which is to win the match or sell the sale or meet the girl or meet her friends or build a business. And much of the time, the natural immediate response that you want to do is the wrong response. And as you get older and you go through sales and business, you realize that. And I think that that's a, an emotional intelligent way to emotionally intelligent way to live because it, it, it benefits every part of your life to understand those emotions and those responses and just expressing yourself. It's okay to have emotions, but if you just do something in response to it, a lot of times people are just like, why did that guy or that girl just do that? But if you express your emotions, a lot of times you can come to a mutually understood conclusion about it because you've expressed exactly how you feel and why you feel it instead of just kicking somebody's chair in the back because they didn't talk to you. So yeah, it's, I, I think between business and sports and the large family, it's just kind of developed naturally. But as you get into business and self-improvement, you read a lot of books. And I think um, I've, I've further sharpened why it's important to be emotionally intelligent. You know, I think that's interesting because I heard recently that especially through all of these interviews that men don't like to be seen, you know, and that's why we, they are wearing all these masks to be, to get that approval. So maybe there's a lot of, of fear around people actually knowing the real you. So you wear all these masks and you hope that people will just keep the real you, uh, keep, uh, keep that version of you. And then you'll never have to share the real you, but then that'll get tiring, you know, holding that mask on all this time. And then you'll eventually want to reveal the real you, but you're now afraid that no one's going to accept you in that time. Right. So I think that's, that's where all that passive aggressive stuff comes. And I think it's interesting. Um, I used to box too. I did that mainly for self-defense and I got punched in the face so many times. I eventually had to stop doing it because I kept getting punched in the face. And, um, I, I actually signed up for Muay Thai classes here in Tulum with this trainer. And the first time was just like a re a redo just to, to get back into the basics of everything. And then the second time she's like, Amanda, you have a lot of fire in you. Like, do you want to fight? And I was just like, oh, I got told enough times or I've just been hit too many times that I'm like, this isn't working out for me. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I attributed fire in a very negative sense. Like my fire is fueled by pain, you know, by trauma, by things that happened to me. And I don't want to ever be in that place and then feel that anger and then release it, whatever, which way. Right. And like you're saying, it's going to either eat you alive or you're going to use it. And I'm now trying to look at fire differently in the sense of what if my fire was fueled with love? with compassion, with joy, right? Like that can also be a fire and it's, or it's, it doesn't always need to have that one definition that we always put on. So what is for you the definition of masculinity and how would you want to redefine it if you'd like it to be different from how you see it right now? The definition of masculinity is a big question. I think conventionally there is this, for whatever reason, especially in American society, but a lot of other societies as well, it was about, not showing your emotions and hiding your emotions and not showing fear and not show you know all these things that are that are natural that are a part of being a human and i think what progresses a society in general in every field is information and data and understanding how things work and science and i think what was being projected onto men was society saying it's weak to to 
to incorrectly express your emotions. And that got dumbed down to just don't show emotions or don't be scared, don't cry. And I think now that we understand emotions a lot better, like no one was talking about emotional intelligence, EV, you know, or EQ, I mean, like what, 10 years ago? I mean, some people were, but not in the mainstream. Now it's, it's you hear it almost every day. And I'll get to the, the what my definition is in a second, but I think what how I want to change the classic definition of what masculinity is, is teaching men how to correctly handle and then express their emotions. Because like I said before, if you can do that, it'll enhance your relationships with your family, your spouse, your kids, your parents. It'll enhance your business if you own one. It'll enhance your career. It'll enhance really every part of your life because emotions are everywhere. You deal with emotions when you're driving, when you're eating, when you meet someone for the first time. So I think that's how I would change it. My definition of masculinity, I think constantly trying to improve yourself and be a protector and provider of people you love. That's probably the most simplest way I can say it. Because if you're, if you're, if those are your two goals to protect and provide, which I think from a, like a biological evolutionary standpoint, that's the role that men have kind of developed with testosterone. Testosterone is good for fight or flight, right? So protect, provide. And if you're constantly looking for ways to improve your ability to do that for whoever, the men and women in your life, uh, people you are friends with, people that you're related to, people that you work with, you can never go wrong. I think that makes a strong male. And I think emotional intelligence is a, is a good place to start. From the research that I've done on gender and linguistics and of divorced men and hearing that you've been, been through that, what I learned was that there's always this desire from, from men to be independent, to be free, to go on their lone wolf journey and find themselves. And apparently in most heterosexual relationships, women are in the way of achieving that. So when they do break up, men are like, oh, I get my freedom again. I can do this again. I can, you know, walk around naked. I can do whatever. And I don't understand why that was always something that they couldn't do before in that relationship. With women, it was like, I could still be myself. However, I have to take, I have to put everyone else before me. So I'm just, I'm just last in my priority of, of who I'm going to, to value in my life. So for women, it was more of a respect and value. For men, it was more like, oh, I need, I need my independence back. I need to be myself again. And that goes back into that idea of um, you know, wearing a mask and, and not being yourself. So how is that experience for you? Do, you? do you resonate with that? Do you think that's true or not true? It's also like this study has been like, this study was made like 30 years ago, right? So now we're living through those gender norms that were created from us, from, from our parents 30 years ago and, and experiencing it now. So what is still true and what do you think is different? Yeah, those are all great points and great questions. I think every couple, every you know, married couple, deals has to confront, you know, whether it's gender stereotypes or just in general, the roles and responsibilities of the household. You know, in my case, very early on with two children, I was like, I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going to provide, I'm going to make sure we're financially secure. And, you know, your role is going to be, and, and I didn't tell her this, we agreed on this, to well, watch after the kids and kind of uh, manage the home front. And I think consent's really important in, in all aspects of life, but I think it's okay to have specific roles like that if you're both consenting to them. Problem is, over time, they say the grass is always greener. And typically for guys, that means looking for more independence. And typically for girls, you know, at least in my experience, it's wanting more, wanting to accomplish more. And I think whether it's society or maybe the 
the man not giving enough value and appreciation or it's just their own insecurity. They don't feel like they're accomplishing anything being a mother or, or managing a household because they're not on stage getting awards and they're not taking home big paychecks. And it's, it's, and, you know, it's hard because I was that guy getting awards on stage, hugging the CEO. I was that guy bringing home big paychecks. And I think there was some resentment there, you know, going both ways. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I think that's a problem that all couples face. And, you know, I don't, obviously I don't have the answer because it didn't work out. But I, I like when you said, you know, showing value and appreciation. Maybe couples can avoid that situation by talking about it and, and constantly reminding the other person that they're, they're great at what they're doing and that they are appreciated. And as far as the independence thing, like, it was strange. I mean, I'm in Tulum right now when, you know, I was no longer, when I'm on my own. And I have this all of a sudden, this independence that, I've never, that I haven't had for, for years. There is this kind of sense of, wow, this is crazy. I want to I go like, explore and try new things. It's, it's tough because I think, I think men are better at compartmentalizing things. And obviously, when I say those types of things, everyone's different. But, you know, there's, there's in the aggregate kind of, categorical differences between men and women. And I think women kind of connect everything together and they kind of lump a lot of stuff together and they want a lot of things to happen simultaneously where men are more like, let's just do one thing at a time, right? In general. And for me, it was a very easy decision to put my head down and go work really hard for my family. And I thought it'd be an easy decision to say, hey, you're retired now, you know, from work. You don't have to worry about money anymore. I mean, not money, but, you know, earning a paycheck anymore. Just, you know, change diapers for a couple of years and then rate, you know, teach these kids how to walk and talk and act and, you know, be a mom. But uh, I think it's hard because life's complicated and things change. Priorities change. Things aren't always what you think they're going to be when on off the onset. And it's easy to see progress when you're in a career where you're building a business because there's actual tangible markers in place. How much did you make this year? How many did you sell? How big is your team? You know, all that stuff. And you can see the results. Whereas when you're just managing a household, it's like nothing went wrong today. That's your progress. (laughs) So I, I can put myself in her shoes and see how, you know, that can be very frustrating. And again, I don't have the answer, but I think understanding what drives us as people, you know, whether it's as a man or as a woman or just as a person is important because your actions should reflect and your agreements with each other should reflect what motivates you. And I think going back to the whole fire thing, that's just kind of a a metaphor for motivation. And some people are motivated by competition, criticism, like being told you can't do something, money, relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of motivators. Um, Finding yours and then not being eaten up by it, using it is really important. And understanding your emotions is really important because if you don't, if, if you don't understand them, you might end up in a situation where you, you quit too early or you give up or, or things go south with your business or your family because you don't understand why you feel the way you feel. What, what would you do differently now that you've experienced kind of a failed relationship? You're, you've found a new independence now, right? Do you believe that you can still hold this independence with a partner? What would the ideal scenario look like for you where there is a balance, you know, that it isn't just like, as materialistic as like, you know, whose progress is more important or which one's more prioritized based on how society looks at what success is, you know, what would your new definition of a successful relationship look like? Well, I think one of the things that's really important in relationships is to take your time. I think one of the things that there's not really wrong and right, it's just what happened, right? I reached a point in my life where I felt like my career was taking off. Uh, I met a girl that I really liked and 
we within like a one year period, it was like 14 months. We bought a house, had two kids, you know, uh, what else was it? Got married, you know, honeymoon, marriage, two kids, house, like boom, 14 months quick. And one of the things I didn't think about at the time was I knew where I wanted to go in life, but I didn't really consider how all the other pieces, including the spouse fit into the picture because I think I looked at it more of like puzzle pieces instead of like living, breathing organisms that are going to change and develop and, and grow along with me. I was just telling somebody today who wanted relationship advice, you have to be intentional like you are in business with your relationships and your conversations, like you were saying earlier. Because if you're just waiting for someone to come sweep you off your feet, that may happen, but that could still be the wrong person for you. One of my most favorite things is if your emotions lied to you as much, or if, if, if your friends lied to you as much as your emotions did, you wouldn't be friends with them anymore. And love and lust and you know desire are emotions, and they're things that can be deceitful. Like not the person, but the the emotion itself can deceive your brain into thinking. Like you've watched those reality shows where they put you in a tropical environment and they sing songy, you know, candlelit dinners and helicopter tours and they fall in love and then two months later they're divorced because it was all fantasy land. So it's easy to manipulate emotions, which is why they're so dangerous. And I think with people, if you're in, intent, it doesn't mean you can't be emotional. Emotions are important, but your intent should be how do I discover if how this person fits into my life and are we compatible? Where do they want to go? There's, there's so many things that I'm thinking about differently now that, I, that weren't even on my radar five, six years ago before I was married. You know, things like where, you know, where someone wants to go in life, like where they're at and where they want to go. When I meet girls now uh, and I see that they're very independent, maybe they're, they're senior executives for a company or they're, they're entrepreneurs themselves, that's a much different situation than I was in where it was like, I'm the breadwinner and they're just at home. Not that there's anything wrong with either one, it's just I'm actually contemplating what that means now instead of just saying this is what it is. Compatibility, you know, when I was dating five, I mean, something changes when you turn 30, I think. But in your 20s, you don't think about what's your Myers-Briggs, you know, uh, four-letter code or your disk analysis or your love language, all these things that people are talking about now. That's huge. And, you know, it, I, I meet people now and, and I kind of have these like hunches about what, kind, what their personality is like based on our conversations. And I'll ask them, like, what are you? And, well, you know, it's not always, it's kind of like palm reading, right? Like, it's better than palm reading, but there's still some, some uh, issues with those kind of simplified analyses. But it still can be a useful tool to kind of figure out, like, you know, what general area this person falls into. So compatibility is important, the direction you want to go in life, where you're currently at in life. And these are just these are new concepts for me that, that establish intentionality. You know, you wouldn't go into a sales meeting just kind of talking in, you know, in circles, not knowing where the conversation is going, you have a process. You know, you pitch, you close, you know what, who your audience is, what target words you want to use, the buzzwords to create emotion and use emotion to your advantage. So I think I'm just looking at relationships and dating a lot differently now because of the past five years of growing a business. And I don't mean that in like a cold way. It's just I think there's valuable tools that can translate to both things, dating and business like emotional intelligence. I think that's really interesting. I look at it the same way. Like if if I go into a job and I just want to like bartend for for this period of time, I'm not looking to be here for for long. You know, I'm just here to get the best shifts and and get in and get out. So if an employer is like, "Oh, you, it looks like you don't care." It's like, "Well, I don't." 
right? I only want this thing. And then if you think of a relationship and you're like, hey, we're doing a casual thing and they're like, oh, it looks like you don't care. It's like, well, I don't. I just, I'm here for the casual thing or, or whatever that is, but that needs to be said. But if you think of how you might interview for a potential job and say, oh yeah, like I, I'm all, I'm all in. I want this, I want this full time. I, I see growth in the company. I want to be here for 20 years when you don't at all. You just want a paycheck and you have like 12 other side gigs on the go. It's, it's that, the seat, you know, that I think when people are looking out just for themselves and then that's when we have trouble trusting each other all over again, right? So how would you begin that conversation of intentionality? I think it should come like straight out, you know, like if it is a job interview saying like, hey, they, these are the only things I want to do. I'm entertaining five other jobs right now. This is the only thing I want for this scenario. Take it or leave it. But I think if we get back into that whole conversation of like, you know, what's creepy and what's not, if you say things too intentionally, too quickly, like, and again, you said you want to take time with it too. So when is it an okay time to, to say, hey, like, what is the, the potential outcome of our relationship? Like, where are we going with this? How soon do you have this conversation? How do you make sure that both parties understand? Well, I think, you know, I, I group relationship progress into three categories. You know, the first thing you know about somebody is just what they look like because you haven't spoken a word yet. So, you know, everyone has their preference. And you look at somebody, and for whatever reason, I, th- I don't think, say, attraction's not a choice. Like, you don't choose to like chocolate. You just do, right? I mean, I mean the food. <laughs> but, you know, attraction to anything's not a choice. It's just, it's what it's who you are. It's part of your brain. It's part of your emotions. And, you know, if you don't like broccoli, I can't, I, I can't like, do anything to convince you to like broccoli. That's, that's my point. So when you see somebody and you're attracted to them, that's the first step. Like, that, that's an important thing. Physicality, physical attraction. The next step is, there's a lot of words for it, chemistry, vibe, social chemistry, especially, you know, how do we converse? How do we interact? You know, and you can be compatible in a conversation or in a date, but not compatible, you know, for a 20, 20 year marriage. But I think the things that make you compatible for a 20 year marriage are the step three, which I'll get to. So in my process, I have to make sure that, I mean, obviously if you're doing like online dating or meeting someone out, you know, you talk to the people that you're attracted to and then you jump to let's talk and let's maybe go on a date and see like how we how we vibe. And then the step three is once you've gotten to the point where it's fun, you're seeing the person multiple times, it becomes a regular thing, and you kind of have that question like, what are we? Step three is worldview and values. Those are the things that if you don't have those in alignment, that's when you're not compatible in the long run. You may be great on a day-to-day basis, but you're going to confront major life issues like gender roles, like relationship goals, business goals, financial goals, family goals. And if you don't have the same core set of values, I mean, you can have differences of opinion on some things, obviously, but if you're completely on opposite sides of, you know, the way a man should treat a woman, the way a, a you know, a son or a daughter should be raised or uh, what your role is or what my role is, you know, you're going to have some serious issues down the line if you don't confront those early on. But of course, those aren't the things you talk about on date one, date two, date three, which is why I put it in that order. And you have, you can't skip steps. You just can't, you can't jump to like, let's see if we vibe, if there's no, if there's no attraction, like instantly. And you can't jump to like, you know, who did you vote for or whatever? I'm joking, but like, you know, what's your opinion on, you know, uh, men and women's roles in a family, you know, too early either. But at any point, you know, if things aren't going in the direction that you like, you just back off and say, maybe we're better as friends. Maybe we're better at nothing at all. So I think that's been my kind of approach to it. And, and these days, it's really easy to get through steps one and two because I can figure out pretty quickly if I'm attracted to somebody. And then I can figure out pretty quickly if we're vibing because I don't waste time. I'm witty. I, I talk fast. I have this banter and I like certain things. And 
if, if, if I'm talking to, you know, a bunch of girls, there's like usually like one that stands out every so often that I'm like, she's cool. Like I would, I want to keep seeing her. I like hanging out with her. I feel good when I'm talking to her or with her. And then that's the one you focus on. And then eventually you get to th those big questions. And like you said, don't be creepy too early, but it's important to say it, to, to bring up the big things. What do you want in life? Why are you, you know, why are you online dating? Where do you see yourself in five years? Those aren't creepy questions. Those are important questions that I think you can bring up in the first or second date. And I think people respect you more if you do, because you're being assertive and you're, you're taking yourself in that, that date seriously by asking those questions. I think that's interesting because I would, I'd start with three and then one and two, I wouldn't really bother with. So, but I think this is also from a woman's perspective because based on just like just gender stereotypes, there's less sexualization of men, obviously, um, in a woman's eyes. So naturally we begin with personality and then we sexualize you, uh, you know, as, as feelings grow. So I would start at number three because I don't want to, because one and two can grow once you at least align on all of those core values of what those conversation elements are. So if I was going to talk to someone, it doesn't matter like if I've decided I have an instant attraction to this person or not, you know, people would ask me, what are you looking for? And I'd say true love. Just filter out all the fuck boys, right? Like I don't, so I do like a, a, you know, a strategy of elimination, just take out the people that have a different intentional intentionality because I've already realized that maybe some people don't even know what their intentions are. So this will just help at least narrow it down. And my work as a, as a business coach is just getting, asking enough questions or, or talking about certain subject matter to get them to, to the point that really matters to them. So I would take it the other way. If you were to try it that way and, and ask and answer questions that deeply, that quickly, does it matter that you need to be attracted to them and, and vibe with them? So that you make a good point because I was speaking strictly from my perspective as a man because you asked, you know, how I was doing and you're 100% right. Girls do approach it very differently. And here's how I've described it in the past. I'm not a, a, a anthropologist or a scientist or anything like that. But, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, a biological standpoint, there's a reason men like a nice smile with nice white teeth, pearly, you know, beautiful eyes and uh, thick, um, long hair that's well kept and wide hips, we can say, and, you know, curvy, you know, breast area, you know, and all these things, because all those things are signs of good health and fertility and all these other things that are necess necessary for life to continue, for survival, which is what history of life is, is, is a history of survival. And I think it's built into our DNA as men. It's not because we're shallow. It's because there's a genetic code that tells us if you seek out these things, you're going to get a, a healthier, uh, more fertile uh, partner. And that's why it starts there for us. Now, what did I say before? Protect and provide. Women, because they have estrogen and men have testosterone, have to have a different set of talents. There's always exceptions, but in the aggregate, women are different and they're better at some things and men are different and they're better at other things. So I think protecting and providing because of, the, of what testosterone does to the human body puts men in a better position, a more advantageous position to protect and provide. So I think from an evolutionary standpoint, women have sought out men that can protect and provide, which isn't physical. That's not, it's not, you can't look at someone and know they're a protector and a provider. Now back in the caveman days, right, maybe, maybe a little more, but nowadays, Protecting and providing has nothing to do with how big and strong you are, or like, you know, fighting a grizzly bear. It's, it's uh, you know, how you 
run a household and run a business and, or take your job seriously or uh, regiment your life. There's a lot of more complicated things that go into it. So I think it's perfectly acceptable for a girl to start there since that's numero uno is can this guy protect and provide? Because if not, probably a waste of time. Not that she needs to be protected and provided for, but I think that's where the evolutionary attraction comes from. Because you may have a very independent girl that doesn't need anything from a man. But when you see a guy that's ambitious and wants to grow and, 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 and uh, progress, that's attractive. Whether you need that money or that protection or provision is irrelevant. It's about traction. And I think that's the first step for girls is kind of, you know, and you can put off that vibe without showing someone your bank account or showing someone your success or how many businesses you have by just your behavior. You can send a message, whether it's your tone, your body language, your word choice that says like, like I take my life seriously. I want to improve myself. I'm ambitious. I want to grow without being arrogant and like I have a lot of money or I own 10 businesses or I just got off my private jet. You know, those things are, are shallow. But if you're talking about the latest book you're reading to improve yourself, just the way you carry yourself sometimes, being confident without being arrogant can send that message, which I think in general, girls find very attractive. So I'm going to challenge that because sure. I think, I mean, since I've been having these interviews, none of this is really about what you do, right? So Typically, you meet someone new and you're like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And naturally, you get into it. And I guess that's when men can present themselves in a certain way that is attractive to women. But if you erase that conversation and we talk about who you are, we talk about, you know, what your past relationships were like. We talk about how you are with your friends. Are you the funny guy? Are you the the planner? Like, which person are you? Uh, what movies do you like? You know, you, you get to to learn people on a, on a human level and you can say why are you the way you are rather than all of these material things add up to who I am today. And if we start changing that conversation and that I've, I've been able to create very interesting, like new relationship dynamics with men that I didn't before, because I, like you said, like most women would naturally want to be attracted to a man. Right. So, so it's, it's really easy to do that, to be like, Hey, tell me more about what you do so that they can, you know, encourage you to speak more and make you feel more confident about what you're doing. Cause no one wants to like engage with someone that's not confident, right? Like you, you want everyone to feel good when they're talking to you. It's a, it's a, you know, two way streak. So what, what would you say to changing that when, when it's like, Hey, let's not talk about work. Let's not talk about like, all of these achievements that I've had that I've, that I've brought up, can you still exert that level of confidence? Because I think if we change that whole conversation, we only talked about emotions. It's super awkward because some guys have never spoken about their emotions ever before. They're not going to be confident about saying that. And then they can be very afraid that they can turn off a woman because either they're too vulnerable. They start crying. They start doing some random stuff because they've never ever communicated their emotions before. It's funny. I went on a date last week. First date I cried. I was, you know, we were having a moment. We were talking about having kids and, uh, you know, when my my daughter was born. A moment that was tough, you know, where she was in danger and I'm doing it now. <laughs> and, you know, it's okay because, you, you know, there's it's a sign of strength to, to express an emotion and then move on and say that this is what happened. This is how I feel about it. The other thing is conversations are, are between two people. And I think you decide the terms of that conversation. If a girl wants to know what you do and you want to talk about what you do, I guess that's okay. But I love the fact that, like, I love thought experiments. I love setting boundaries for conversation to see where it goes because it's more interesting. Focus on like one dynamic, whether it's emotions or one dynamic, whether it's, you know, ideas. I had this really good idea for 
because you know there's a lot of political discord right now in the country, and they're always ha- there's been for a while, but it seems to only be going in one direction. And I thought to myself, how do you fix that? And then people have all these crazy ideas for how to fix that. I thought it was very simple. You and it has something to do with what you just said. So I'll bring it full circle. You you basically have a conversation where proper nouns are banned in that conversation. You're you're both agreeing to not use words that start with a capital letter, which means no people, no organizations, no places. Anything that has a name, you can't talk about. And what it does is it forces you to talk about ideas, and you can't say, oh, well, Bush did this, or Clinton did that, or this channel is terrible because those words are banned because they have, they have names. You can only talk about things and ideas and solutions. So I, I like what you're, where you're going with that because if you do that with you know, not talking about what you own or how many businesses you have or what you do for a living, and you're forced to talk about your ideas as a, you know, in a relationship or in your life, I think it, it could make for a much more interesting conversation and you could avoid a lot of issues with trigger words or buzzwords if you're talking about ideas. It's, it's, it's hard to offend someone when you're talking about strictly an idea, unless, unless the idea is just really <laughs> But But that's the thing. If the idea is really offensive and you're forced to talk about that idea in lowercase letters, then it becomes very apparent like, wow, you're not a good person then because it it exposes it but if you hide behind these like organizations or people that you follow or who you know you can kind of almost mask or hide what you really feel about something because you're hiding behind what other people think but if you're forced to like say exactly what you believe in words that aren't don't start with capital letters i think you know it's very clear it's very clarifying so i love the idea of doing that I i don't know if you know everybody would agree to that but i think it's a good it's a good it's, it's a good uh, suggestion for maybe like a limited time for the first date. Like, hey, for the next 30 minutes, let's only talk about like this. And we can't talk about that. I think that'd be interesting. It'd be a good way to be a good icebreaker. And it'd be a good way to, I think, supercharge the relationship forward or supercharge it apart and, 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 and establish whether you want to progress the relationship or say it's nice, nice knowing you. That's what I mean. I think it's a good way to filter it out. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Uh, I just want to wrap up with two questions for you. The first question is, uh, what was the most valuable takeaway from today's conversation? I already have the answer. It's I talked about it, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and always thinking about that. But I think talking to you and you bringing up things that I hadn't thought of before and you forced me to actually walk the walk and talk the talk and put myself into someone else's shoes and, and actually explain it, you know, made me think about things differently. It's easy to say like, oh, think about it from someone else's point of view. But when you actually do that exercise, um, I think it's a, it's a fast way to grow your emotional intelligence. Right. Lastly, out of all the topics we spoke about, is there anything that you would like to invite another man uh, to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Hmm. I think it would be cool to talk about, I mean, not one man in particular, but I think men in general, just to kind of get a better sense of how they feel about their role in a marriage or in a relationship. Because... I don't think that's discussed enough, especially with young men. I think by the time they discover it's a really important thing, it's too late, or they're down a path that maybe they should have, they, it's something they should have looked into and, and, and understood before they went down that path. By the time they discover, hey, this is really important to, to, to either set boundaries on or discuss or confront, um, they're way down, far down the path, and you know, damage ensues, and whether it's you know, divorce or your kids or your business, balance, and balance is key in everything. So I think having that discussion with any man is always going to be a valuable thing. 
What an invigorating chat. I think it's very interesting that the role of a man is different for himself than it is within a relationship. And I wonder why does that need to be different? I love this man's openness to being challenged. And I hope I can bring more moments like this for you on the show. Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.